welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, August 27th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Malachi 3, 8 through 12, a message titled, Putting Your Money Where Your Bible Is, Storehouse Tithing. I'd like to tithe and give an offering, but I just can't afford it. Have you ever said that? Are you saying that right now? Maybe your spouse has been after you to, to give more to the Lord, and uh, you keep the checkbook, and you do the finances, and your response has been, well, I'd like to, too, but we just can't afford it right now. And it's important for couples, for families, to be on the same page when it comes to marriage, parenting, and money, especially money. Uh, how do we get on the same page as a family? Uh, does the loudest voice in the room win? No, we listen to what the Lord has to say. And the family understands what the Lord says, and then everybody joins him. That's how we get on the same page. And so putting your money where your Bible is, is finding out what God says about money, how we use it, how we're a good steward of it, and then how we give it, and then we follow the Bible, not our feelings. And there can be a lot of stress that comes into play with our finances. And the reason why I'm preaching this series is not because I'm trying to raise money. I want you to understand right you know, on the front of what I'm going to say this morning, uh, the pastor is not trying to fish for a bigger salary because of the bigger offerings that we might get. The pastor doesn't have his eye on a brand new truck. I'm fine with the blue truck I've got right now. And, and so sometimes I know when preachers talk about money, people would think, well, what's he wanting to get out of that? Well, you just need to understand in a Baptist church, if you start to tithe and give more, it doesn't mean the pastor's salary gets raised automatically. My salary's fixed, and I'm fine with it. But I, what I'm saying this morning is to try to help you understand what God said about his word, because it's best for you. If you don't manage your money according to God's principles, you will have financial stress. Things will not go the, the way they're supposed to. And, and money will become this curse, this problem in your life, instead of this blessing and provision from God that, that has joy attached with it. And so that's the purpose behind the messages, and, and particularly what we're going to share with you this morning. And I know some can, can think, well, Pastor, you know, you're God's servant. You're up there in a suit and tie every day. You've got that smile on your face because you want to, you know, you know, project that, you know, everything's fine in your life, and you're, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have the problems we have. 
You don't know what it's like to be out there in the real world. You don't know what it's like to try to work with the boss I'm trying to work with. You don't know what it's like to, to run the company with the workers I've got and try to make ends meet. Well, I have worked out in the real world at times in my life. I haven't always been behind a pulpit. And uh, just because I'm God's man doesn't mean I don't have financial problems. I live in the world that you live in. And I have stories I can tell you. In fact, what time is it? How much time do I have? <laughs> I'll give you one quick story just to give you an illustration that, that I know how hard it is to tithe when things are tight. There was a time in, in my ministry where um, because I did the right thing, I lost 80% of our income because I had to leave that ministry because I did what was right. Now that's 80. Eight with a T on the end. 80% that our income went down automatically because I was in a church I was on staff at that church and I'm not going to tell you the church name and I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was so you could, can't figure it out. But, but this church was a good church, had good people in it, but sometimes good people have bad ideas about important things. And there were people in that church that had the mindset that uh, they wanted their church to be like them. And they weren't open to people from the outside coming in that were on a different economic level than they were, or a different cultural level, or background level than they were, or their kids were. And, and they basically had a ministry that was not willing to reach out to those around them that were different than them. Well, I had been brought into that staff on church for the very reason to be an outreach director. And my plans for doing outreach was what God said in the Bible. And the Bible says that God loves the world. And he loves the world so much that he sent his own son to die for the world so that they may not perish, but that they may come to him and come to him in eternal life. And one day the Bible indeed does say, that heaven will be populated with people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every kind of people will be in heaven. That's the God that we have, and that's the Bible that we follow. And so I was following it. But when some people in the church found out that the outreach director, Brother Mike, was going to people's homes and taking some of the church people out there to visit some people in the neighborhood, the very neighborhood around the church building, they got all up in arms about that. And there was a meeting. I wasn't called to that meeting, but the messenger came and gave me the results of that meeting. And the results were that I was to stop doing that and that we were not going to do that at this church. Well... I began to communicate what I understood God's word to be and tried to get uh, their explanation of why they weren't willing to follow that. And uh, basically the response I got, and this came from the pastor, my boss, was that sometimes you got to go along to get along. And, and so I had a choice to make. I was either going to follow God and his word or I was going to follow man and their bad ideas. Well, I chose to follow God. And I stood up and even made this public before the church. I gave it every opportunity to resolve itself. And uh, even when I stood up, I thought, well, there'd be some folks that stand with me. I mean, this is a good church. 
Not one person stood with me. One guy tried to after the fact, but he got shut down pretty quick. And so I had no other choice but to walk away because I'd been called to serve God, not serve man. And that meant that we lost instantly 80% of our household income. And we had a mortgage and we had two little boys. And it was October, by the way, of that year. You know what October is? It's the third month before you get to Christmas. <laughs> we were staring Christmas in the face and lost 80% of our income. It was during one of those weeks in the fall of that year that I began to you know, try to you know, pay the bills, look at everything, and come to write the tide check out, and there wasn't money to cover the tide check and to pay the bills and to put food on the table. And I had a choice to make. Was I really going to trust God and do what I've been preaching all these years? Or was I going to, to act on my feelings? Well, we trusted God. And looking back on that, God provided for us providentially. And there were a few instances during that time that he provided for us supernaturally. We don't know where the money came from. We can't explain it. But it came and our needs were met. That's the, that's the God that we serve. If we will follow his guidelines, he will then bestow grace in our life to give us what we need, and even beyond that, as we're going to see from God's word today. You can trust him. What is storehouse tithing? It is bringing a tithe, 10%, into God's house on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis, however you get paid, as a way to honor God and put him first in your life. And if he's not first in your finances, he's not completely first in your life. And so listen to God's word from Malachi chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? God's answer and tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is the Old Testament. This is a part of the Old Testament law. And so a very legitimate question to ask is, if this was the law, then why should we as New Testament Christians today still give tithes and offerings like they did in the Old Testament? A valid question. And so let's begin with the first point in the outline, and that is reasons why Christians should tithe. And the first reason is that, and this is in your notes, and the answer will be up on the screen, tithing was practiced before the law. 
I've given you several accounts here of giving in the Old Testament. Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, gave us an example of giving a tithe. The Bible says before Jacob set out on his faith journey to go into a foreign land, to take a wife, to start a family, to follow God's promise that he had given, been given to his grandfather Abraham, uh, Jacob said, if you bless me, Lord, if you provide for me, I'll give you a tithe of all that you give me. And God did that and Jacob did that. So there's a model before the law. Before Jacob, Abraham did this, Genesis 14, 20. The Bible says that, that Abraham met Melchizedek, who was the priest of the Most High God. He was kind of a mysterious figure in the Old Testament. We'll talk about him, more about him in just a little bit. Uh, the Bible shows us that he was a representative of God, and to give to this guy was like to give to God. And Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was a representative of God. And so Abraham's response was, I'm going to give you 10% of what I've been blessed with. So that's where Jacob got the idea. Abraham got the idea from his forefathers because we find that the patriarchs also gave percentage of what they were blessed with. Noah in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, gave 14%. Where in the world do you get that? Well, I looked at his books, and in the accounting, you can see that, no. Um, the, the Bible says that there were two of every kind of animal that was brought on, but then you look in the fine print, and Genesis chapter 7 says that God told him to bring seven of every clean animal. And so the cows, the chickens, the pigs, well, not the pigs, they weren't clean. Um, the, uh, the other animals you might could eat from, uh, they brought seven. And you count it up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Se the seventh was an odd man out. Every, everybody else was a pair to continue the, the uh, species. But then the next chapter answers the question of why there was that odd animal. When Noah got off the ark with his family, he offered one of every one of the clean animals to the Lord as an offering. One out of seven. One seventh is 14%. So Noah gave an offering. That was all his. All the T-bone steaks that were coming off the ark. All the chicken dinners that were coming off the ark, it was all his. And he gave a 14% of it, one-seventh of it, back to the Lord as an offering. But then the greatest model of giving that you can uh, pin down there in the Old Testament is Genesis 4.4 4, with Abel. Abel had a flock of sheep, and the Bible says there that he gave of the firstborn of his flock, and notice it says, of their fat. Not its fat, so there's more than just one firstborn, but of every uh, family in his flock of sheep that he had, he gave the firstborn to the Lord. And that's a third, 33%. And so the Lord took from this model of giving in the Old Testament, yes, he, he put the 10% model in the law, but grace shows us before the law because they were operating by grace through faith, just like we are now, that grace gives to the Lord. And the starting point was 10%. That's because we need that help. You know, there's some people that say, I, I'm against 
tithing because it's a part of the legalistic giving and uh, it's not of grace and we're not a, we're not under the law anymore and so I just I'm just going to be free to give by how the Lord leads me. Well, I've done that too, and I've blown that a whole lot of times. There's a lot of times that I, I don't understand what the Lord's telling me to do. There's a lot of times I get in my flesh, and I get selfish, and I get stressed out, and I don't deal with the money like I need to, and I find that I need help. I need guidance, and God's Word gives us that. It gives us a structure to start with the tithe, and, and because we are blessed by grace, we ought to give more than that as we're blessed. But the Bible shows us that we start here and men and women that were under grace, that live by faith, practice this all the way from the very beginning and God blessed that. So first, tithing is practiced before the law, but then secondly, tithing is promoted after the law. Tithing wasn't just about the law. We see in Matthew 23, 23 that Jesus commends tithing. There he is speaking, the Bible says, to the multitudes and to his disciples. And he talks about the tithing that people did. And he said, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. He says, these you ought to have done, meaning the tithing, without leaving the others undone. And so what the Pharisees and some of the legalistic uh, followers of the law did is they tied out of the, even the small herbs, the salad that came out of their backyard garden. Do you do that? They took it to the nth degree. They were tithing on all their increase, trying to gain favor with God. And Jesus said... You neglected how you really get favor with God, but when you talk about tithing, he says you ought to have done those things. He commended it. And Jesus came, he said, not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He fulfills it. He makes us givers. Givers like he is. And that begins by giving a certain amount and then building upon that as God blesses us this is what jesus is commending but then notice the book of hebrews gives teaching about this it actually recommends tithing because some say well the new testament doesn't teach about it well look at hebrews chapter 7 the bible here talks about melchizedek again and the way it talks about melchizedek in hebrews chapter 7 i believe tells all of us that that was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Nobody knew where Melchizedek came from. He's described here as, uh, as the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, the king of peace, who was without father, without mother. In verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. That is, he lives forever unlike the earthly priest. And then the writer of Hebrews draws this bottom line. He says, he says, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. That's verse 8. And then verse 9 says, Even Levi, that is Levi of the priesthood, Levitical priesthood, they received tithes, and paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. 
Here's what he's saying. He's saying we have a living priest that's always around. He's always been here. He's always will be a priest for us to bring us to God. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, since he lives forever, it's right for us to always be giving to him. The Old Testament tithes give to the Levitical priest. That's passed away. We're not giving anything to Levi anymore. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have someone who's better than Levi. He's better than Moses. He's better than anybody else. Better than all the angels. He's alive in heaven today doing things that nobody else does. And he is receiving gifts from men. And it says here that the tithe is appropriate to give to the one who lives forever. He says in verse 18 and 19, For on, on the other hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment, that's the law, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. That's the New Testament. That's grace through which we draw near to God. And so we don't give tithes to try to earn favor with God, you know, to get points with him. We can never get enough points with him. But now, because we've received this hope of the gift of eternal life and grace that will give us much more than we ever will need, we give out of that with a thankful heart to give back to the Lord, to say, this is the grace source in my life. This is the one who gets me through thick and thin. This is the one who provides food on my table. This is the one that will get me through everything that I'll face in the future. And so I give him credit by giving him a tithe and offering as I'm blessed. And then finally, under point number one, notice also that tithing does not, did not pass away with the law. The word pass away goes in that blank. And that's true. Thou shalt not kill did not pass away with the law. Because Jesus came into our life, we didn't become less concerned about other people. No, we, we even become more concerned. It's not that, that we just draw a, a legalistic line and say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus says, but do you hate your brother in your heart? See, this is what grace does for us. It goes inside. And it causes us not just to say, I'm not going to kill anybody, but I'm also not going to hate someone in my heart without a cause, without a righteous cause. And so grace takes the law even further. And so giving did not pass away with the law. Tithing did not pass away. It was just taken to a new level. And where is tithing taught or where is it mentioned in the New Testament? Well, I would point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where Paul is speaking to the church of the Corinthians and he says, on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he's talking about storehouse giving, bringing money to the house of God. What are they going to be thinking about when he said that? They're going to be thinking about tithes and offerings. That's been the, that was the whole program all the way up to that day. And so here Paul touches on giving in the New Testament like they gave in the Old Testament. Now we give out of grace not according to law. So what are the rules to observe when tithing? Tithe is taken first. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, again, how to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So you give it first. 
You take it off the top. You don't wait till the end of the month to see what's going to be left over. God doesn't eat leftovers. Now, we're going to eat leftovers on Wednesday night, but God doesn't eat leftovers. He wants our best. And only as we give it first is it really a faith. You think about it. If you're waiting to the leftovers, that doesn't take any faith. But it's only as we give first, before we know the outcome, before we know what the end of the month is like. That is a gift by faith. And the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Because if we take faith out of the equation, we're taking trust in God, dependence on God out of the equation. And if we're living independent of God, then that's the definition of sin. Is we're trying to do it our way and not his way. So the tithe is taken first. And then the tithe is, is on all your increase. Do you tithe on the gross or tithe on the net? You tithe on all your increase. That's the gross. What's gross is that we would be stingy with a God who's been so abundant and gracious to us. That's what's gross. And so we can sometimes come to the point where we nickel and not dime God. And when we do that, we're acting on our feelings, not on faith. Because God gives abundantly. Jesus said in Matthew or Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put into your bosom? What's he talking about? He's talking about giving. Giving to the Lord the tithe and the offering, and then the Lord returning to you a blessing that you won't have room to receive. And then under point number two, also notice that you bring the tithe, this is a third rule here, bring the tithe to God's storehouse. What is God's storehouse? In the Old Testament, it was the temple, the house of God. You read in the Old Testament, you find that all the nation brought tithes and offerings to the temple, and uh, the temple didn't have any closets. Uh, it had three main compartments that were dedicated for worship. And so what they did was they built other buildings around and attached it to the outside of the temple. And that was what was called the storehouse. And the storehouses held all the accumulated offerings and gifts from God's people to God. And there were treasures in there. And there were treasurers that oversaw that. And it's interesting, you, you look at First um, Chronicles chapter 26, and it names some of the treasurers of the storehouse, and some of the treasurers were Moses' descendants. So some of the great-great-grandchildren of Moses were, were the treasurers of God's storehouse. How neat is that? And so God asked God's people to bring the offerings to his house, and they stored it up. Just like Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, to lay it by, and store by you and bring it on the first day of the week, first day of the week when they were gathering to worship, to bring it to God's house, to God's people, to God's ministry, so that it can be used in God's work. So that there may be food in my house. Looking back at Malachi, our, our text, that doesn't mean that God wants cans of corn and beans and... Um, sandwich bread in his house mainly if that's needed that's appropriate but that word food there is talking about resources and supplies that provide energy and ability 
And so God wants his supplies brought into his house. And today, that's the New Testament church. Over and over again, Paul writes to all these churches and says, give, give an offering, bring it together as God leads you. And so the storehouse now is the New Testament church and is to be brought in, not just to raise a bunch of money and have impressive things, but to have resources that God can use in his work. And as God leads his people and he leads his leadership, then there is resources to use in the ministry. So it's storehouse giving. It's not just giving to um, the hospitals and uh, different ministries all around the world. Uh, they do good work and they have their place for, to receive some gifts as we can give those. But God's tithe is to be reserved for the storehouse, the church, where he is working and he wants to work through. Finally, what are the rewards? God gives us rewards in Malachi chapter 3. And these rewards apply to us as we, under the age of uh, grace now, we still give and we respond to the Lord out of our worship and our devotion to Him. We can expect, expect blessings. Number one, it is the promise of extra. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me, prove me, now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Now that's what the Lord says. Now the televangelist will say, if you will give me a seed offering, you're going to become rich. And that's not what God's talking about here. What, he's ta what God's talking about is the kind of blessing that he wants to give you for his purpose that will allow you to do much more for him. Not build a bigger house and drive a better car. There's nothing wrong with a bigger house or a better car. But that's not primarily what the tithe is all about. God wants to give you a blessing that's bigger than you can put in a bank account. Bigger than you can record on a piece of paper. And I'll give you a quick illustration of that. When our kids were young, we tried to teach them how to, to give. And we, we gave them three little uh, containers that they would put money in for spending, saving, and giving. That's the three things that God says that we're to do with our money. And, and so they would do that, and uh, we would try to teach them how they could use the money in giving for things the Lord would lead us to, to do. And uh, in our ministry at that time, there, there was a lady that called the church and needed some groceries, and that happens on a fairly regular basis. And I thought, that time that'd be a good teaching lesson I'm going to take the family with me when I go and take these groceries to this lady well we also in our family devotions had taught the kids about how God's got a secret he's got a secret that he wants the whole world to know it's a secret not because he's trying to keep it from everybody but because people just don't understand and that secret is he wants them to come to know him in a personal relationship and we need to tell that secret to as many people as we can and so here we go to meet this perfect total stranger and the kids are with me. My oldest son, Tyler, he's really, you know, old enough. He understands kind of what we're doing. And he gets out of the car with me as I'm going to talk to this lady. And I'm just kind of talking to her and trying to meet her, get to know her. And we've got the groceries and we're giving it to her. And I'm building up to transition the conversation to spiritual things. And before I could do that, Tyler's standing right next to me. He starts going, Dad, 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 Dad. <laughs> Interrupted me, and I'm like, what? He said, 
Tell her the secret. Tell her the secret. <laughs> I'm getting to it. Just wait. Give me time. <laughs> and so he got it. And that was a bigger blessing than being able to give $50 of groceries to somebody else. To know that my son saw what we need to be about. And that it was more than just groceries and things to put inside their stomach, but it was about their heart, about their soul. And we use those things. We use our giving to, to manifest grace, just like God does. And he got it. And that was a blessing that couldn't be contained. So God wants to bless you with extra. And then secondly, God wants to give you protection of the existing. Look at verse 11 again. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That devourer is that, that uh, unknown being that comes around and just uh, you know, steals stuff out of our refrigerator when we thought it was fully stocked. Where did all the milk go? It's that unseen little trickster that gets in there inside of our engine and makes things go haywire and everything breaks down right after we fixed everything. It seems like everything's just falling apart and we don't have enough money and it's just everything we're accumulating is going to someone else. God says, I'll protect you from that kind of hour so that the fruit of your ground will not be destroyed and the vine will not fail and that, that you'll have a protection on what's existing. I found this to be true in my life. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but if you get out of, out of the habit of giving to the Lord, things begin to go haywire in your personal and financial life. God gets our attention by letting things kind of go haywire. And the devourer who's out there, and that's the, the enemy, Satan, and all his workers, they're trying to discourage us. They're trying to stop us from doing God's work. They're trying to be enemies of grace. And they're trying to pull us away from what God wants us to be and to do. And he'll use your vehicles and your groceries and everything else in your life to accomplish that task. He's a destroyer. But God will give protection. And that comes with us being faithful to him. But then finally, there's the praise of everyone. Verse 12 says, when, when you operate this way and people begin to see God's blessing upon you in your life, and they, they, they see that, you know, even when things go haywire in your life, just like their life, that there seems to be a very providential, supernatural provision for you. And you've got a joy about it that, that we don't know anything about. And they begin to look and see how you operate and they say, Boy, you're blessed. And then out of that blessing, you're able to give to them and make a very important difference in their life, to give to them or someone close to them and make a difference. And, and maybe they don't even like you. Maybe they don't know you. But when you give to them, they have good thoughts about you. And they have good thoughts about the one who's provided for you. And that's the praise of all nations that God's talking about there. As the world begins to see a difference in your life, and it can go back to the very simple thing of how we manage our money. God wants us to be givers so that others can be receivers. 
And he's got eternal life and abundant life that he wants to give to as many people as possible. And he wants to use us to be instruments of grace. To bow our head this morning. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.